but I, uh, but I want to welcome them. Last time I looked up to welcome them, and they were out the door. And I said, well, you see two strangers in the lobby. You say, hey, all these parents. But they're here now, so we welcome them. And welcome to all of you that may be new. But I, I, I've got a word from God. Poke your neighbor and say he's got a word from God. Do you believe that? God's about to speak to you. Amen. I'm about to show you. No, God's about to show you probably the most evil person maybe in the history of mankind and God gave him a U-turn and I want to tell you that God allows U-turns. Hook your neighbor real good and say, God allows U-turns. Now, if you will stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, where if you've got your Bibles, your paper Bibles, or if you've got your phone or however you've got it, don't forget U-version. Don't forget to click on U-version. Those notes are in there. If you don't have version, you need to download it. You've got the notes. You can type them in and add to them, and then you save it, and you can always go back to it. All right, 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and I'm going to read the first 20 verses, and I'm just going to lay this out for you. This is a, it's incredible what, this, what God did with this man, this evil king. All right, it says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. That's astonishing. He reigned 15 years longer than David and Solomon. He's by far the longest reigning king in, in the history of Israel. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Verse 3, he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them and he built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. Verse 5, In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry host. He sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Look to your neighbor and say, This guy is doing some bad stuff. <laughs> It, it gets worse. He, he took the image he had made and put it in God's temple of which God had said to David and to his son Solomon in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your ancestors. If only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses. Look at verse 9. It gets worse. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray. Not only was he doing wrong, now he's leading the whole nation astray. Yes. So that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. They were worse than the pagans. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Verse 11. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner. Put a hook in his nose. That does not sound good. Bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. How would you like to be towed at a thousand miles with a hook in your nose? In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. Yes, yes. Verse 13. Now it's going to be turnaround time. Everybody say, God allows you turns. When he prayed to him, to God, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Not only did God rescue him from that, he brought him back to the kingdom. 
He put him back as king. It's, this is one of the most amazing stories in the whole Old Testament. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of the Gion Spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel. He also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem. And he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. The other events of Manasseh's reign, including the prayer to his God and the words the seer spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the annals of the king of Israel. His prayer... And how God was moved by his entreaty, as well as all his sins and unfaithfulness, and the sites where he built high places and set up astral poles and idols before he humbled himself, all these are written in the records of the seers. Manasseh rested with his ancestor and was buried in his palace. And Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. Would you just hold your Bibles up and let's pray and then we'll, we'll make our place. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you, God. God, your presence is here. Your presence has been here this morning. God, I thank you that you are here. Holy Spirit, have your way. I ask you in the name of Jesus right now, God, that you would just touch every heart with the word of God. Father, anoint me to preach your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. Let it not be words from myself, but from you, the throne of God. Speak to our hearts, O oh God. Put the word of God down deep in our hearts, in the good soil of our hearts, that it may grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. Father God, speak to us in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's boldly declare, Father, Father today, today, this week, this week by, your grace, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. One of the cruel and unusual punishments that the Romans would do to a captive that was a slow death was, and you've heard Holly preach on this before, they would take a captive and uh, they would join a dead body to him face to face and tie them together. And uh, Virgil, the poet and the, the writer of that time, describes the cruel punishment. He said, the living and the dead at his command were coupled face to face and hand to hand till choked with stench. And loathed embraces tied, the lingering wretches pined away until they eventually died. And I'm going to tell you, while we may not be shackled to a physical dead body, if we do not have Jesus Christ in our life as our Lord and Savior, we are shackled to a dead corpse called the flesh and a fallen nature. Yeah. And just like you will die if they attach a dead body to you, you will die spiritually and are dead spiritually if you do not have Jesus Christ in your heart as your Lord and Savior. Manasseh began his reign in 695 B.C. and he was the 14th ruler of Judah and by far the longer than any king in the history of Israel, period. 
He reigned an incredible 55 years, as I said, 15 years longer than King David and Solomon. It's astonishing. He had the godliest father of all the Judean kings since the kingdom split. The kingdom split from north and south, and he was part of the Judean kings of the south. And after the split, he by far had the godliest father. Yet, he did not serve God. He had seen the price and the dedication of his father Hezekiah because he ruled alongside of him for 11 years, but he didn't have the relationship with him for himself. And this Manasseh is a perfect example of a person who grows up in a Christian home and decides to go their own way. A person that is raised knowing the word of God, knowing God, knowing the presence of God, knowing what it is to be with him. And yet they decide to go their own way because that's exactly what Manasseh was. And I want to tell you something. Just because your parents have a relationship with Christ, just because your grandparents do, doesn't mean you do. And just because they were people of God doesn't mean that you are. Right? You can't ride their coattails into heaven. Everyone has to make their own decision for Jesus Christ themselves. And Manasseh was raised right. When his dad dies, he decides to go completely off the deep end. He just absolutely lost his mind. And in verse 2, we see all of his history to be laid out before us of all the wicked things he did. He departed from his, the faith of his father. And point number one today is this. Don't depart from your faith in Christ. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And I believe, when I get done laying this out, and you might believe, he at least equaled, if not surpassed, the evil of Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, you name all the mass murders in history, Manasseh is at least right there in the same conversation as them. He lived with all the abominations of the land of Israel, of the pagans who lived there before he came, only they did worse. I mean, these were evil, wicked people, and Manasseh had the covenant of God, and he went worse off than what they did. He lived a wicked life. Despite being having the privilege of being raised in a godly home, he rejected their example. He rejected his father's righteousness. He rejected the people who served God, and he said, I'm going to go do things my way. And by verse 3, he had undone everything that his father did. He resurrected the high places of worship to pagan gods again. He, he recreated false worship of false gods. He rebuilt the altars of Baal again. He, he worshipped the, the, the host of heaven. And when it, when it says that he worshipped them, he bowed down, he served them. He, he, he laid himself down at the stars and the sun. He made groves as did Ahab, king of Israel. He introduced them to the Assyrian worship of the sun, moon, and stars, the astral deities. In those days, it was very common practice for pagan nations to look for their answers in the sun, moon, and stars. And that's what they would do. They were trying to look for their future. They were trying to see their destiny in something other than God. Basically, he set up a zodiac center for pagan worship of the sun, moon, and stars in the house of God where God's name was supposed to be lifted up. It was the equivalent today of per following personal horoscopes, yeah, yeah. reading tea leaves and tarot cards, playing Ouija boards, having seances, all the things that we would say today, ooh, you don't do that. He not only did them, he brought them to the house of God. Why, why, look, why look to the stars for your answer when you can look to the one who made those stars? Why would you look to anything else 
when you can look to the one who made everything else. He's the one with the answers. Astrology won't help you. Now, there's a difference in astronomy. Astronomy is okay. It's just the study of stars. Astrology is attaching evil spirits and trying to get your answers from them. Astrology won't save you. Buddha won't save you. Muhammad won't save you. But Jesus Christ will. We were on our way out of the parking lot. Uh, we parked the car, you know, long-term parking. We got back from the conference, and we get there. And Emma, Holly and I, we're just telling everybody about Jesus. And so Lisa and I said, hey, I said, uh, I said, Jesus loves you. And she said, hmm. I said, uh, are you a Christian? She said, I'm deeply spiritual. And I don't know, it just came over me. I said, well, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. And she went, hmm. I thought, well, that's all right. I witnessed. Amen. I still get a crown. Praise God. Look, we don't have to look everywhere for our answers because God said we can look to him. If we'll trust in Him with all our heart, lean not into our own understanding, and all our ways acknowledge Him, He will direct our paths. Yes. God has all the answers. So it gets worse. In verse 4 and 5, He defiles the temple of the Lord. He builds pagan altars to the temple in the temple of the Lord, in the two courts of the Lord, to worship false gods, where God said, My name is going to be exalted and honored. Wow. It was a special place. The temple of God was the house of God. And it was supposed to be a special place where Jesus, where God's name was honored and lifted up and honored and blessed. Manasseh not only led pagan worship on the hillsides, he brought it in a God's special place. I want you to think about that. Where they would worship these false gods where his name was supposed to be lifted up. I mean, this thing gets worse. He installed shrines to the stellar gods, if you will, the sun, moon, and stars, right in the temple of God himself. I mean, I would imagine you would be offended if today we went and got a big, you know, a 20-yard dumpster full of trash and we just dumped it all in the church. Yeah. You would think, what is wrong with you? But that's essentially what Manasseh was doing. If I can good put it in modern day, what the atrocities he was doing, it would be like you showing up for church today, and right over here, we've got some palm readers and some few, uh, fortune tellers reading tea leaves and reading palms and tarot cards. And right in the middle, we've got a group of people holding hands, and they got candles burning everywhere, and they're doing seances and incantations trying to see what's going to happen. And back in that corner, they're playing the Ouija board to see what the spirits are saying. And back over there, they're studying this, the astrology to figure out, hey, what's going on over there? And then and you, and the list could go on and on. You would be repulsed and you would say, what in the world is going on in the house of God? That's what Manasseh was doing, but even worse. All this was in direct violation to Deuteronomy 4.19 that says, when you look up in the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. In other words, go worship God. In verse 6 through 8, it gets even worse. The Bible says that he sacrificed his own sons in the valley of Hinnom, in, the, in, in Gehenna, if you will, in the place where they burned everything. and they, they, he, he, he killed his children to the god Molech there. He also practiced sorcery, which is seeking to gain power from evil spirits. He practiced divination, which is seeking, seeking to interpret the future by omens. He practiced witchcraft, seeking to control others through communication with evil spirits. All of which were commonly employed in the other nations in the Near East to discern the planned activities of the gods. Listen, we don't have to do all that. All we got to do is talk to God. He's a communicating God. And he will talk to you and I. Amen. 
He committed, he consulted mediums, spiritists, wizards, diviners, who specifically was to seek and consult the dead. And perhaps the most serious of all, he brought in the Asherah pole, which was dedicated to the goddess, the fertility goddess of the Canaanites, Asherah, and put it right in the temple of God. It was an obscene, perverted, nasty image right in the temple of God. And we say, wow, man, that's crazy. But, you know, people bring in pornography on their phones right in the house of God today. Perhaps the most serious of this was, let, let, let me just go on. Listen to some of his other wicked accomplishments. I, I, am I painting a picture of this guy yet? Wait till you see it gets worse. 2 Kings 21, 11 says, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil. Everybody say more evil. More evil. Than the Amorites who were... Really wicked, if you read and study them, who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. He not only did it, he led everybody astray. He led them all. He said, I'm going to hell. I'm taking everybody with me. Yeah. Hebrews 11.37. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. What does that have to do with Manasseh? Because Jewish historians will teach you that he was the one that sawed Isaiah in half. The great prophet Isaiah. The fifth gospel, if you will. He got so tired of hearing repent, he sawed him in two. I mean, this guy's wicked. Where do you see the next scripture? 2 Kings 21, 16. Moreover, are you ready? This is where Hitler comes in and Joseph Stalin, the same spirit. You ready? Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from one end to end. Besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit so that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Everybody say, this dude is bad. He, he just filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. He killed everybody. I mean, this guy was wicked. He deceived the people of God by verse 9. He not only to, uh, uh, tolerated evil and permitted it, but he commissioned it. There are two basic categories of sin. Are you ready? There are sins of omission and sins of commission. When you omit, a, when you have sins of omission, it means you, you were told to do something, you didn't do it. The Bible said tithe, and you said, no, I think I'll do it my way. That's a sin of omission. But then there are sins of commission, which says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to actually do something wrong. So there's two types of categories of sin, omission and commission. Not only did he do both, he was getting everyone else to do them. He was practicing both of them. He was responsible for the corruption of God's people under the threat of death. He was back. He was influencing the entire nation to, to absolutely do what's wrong. I remember when I was 18, 19 years old. I was going to church at the church where I was grew up before I went to Lee College. And, you know, I, I wasn't living right. I was going to church. I, I don't know. I was trying. I became really good friends with my pastor's two sons, especially the older one. We got to hanging out. And, and uh, apparently, I got to influencing him the wrong way. I know you can't believe that. But I apparently got to influencing him the wrong way. And his son started doing some really stupid stuff. Not with me, by the way, all on his own. But the pastor, I guess, decided I was the fault. And I don't know, one day after church, I, I'll never forget this. I, I can still see his face. I'm backing out, I'm waving at people, and he comes out in the parking lot in front of God and everybody. And his face is red, and the wind is blowing his long hair. And he stops, and he looks at me, and he says, Quit 
hanging around my son. You're a terrible influence. Stay away from my family. And he stormed off. And all I could do was say, yes, sir. Crushed me. Stunned me. Crushed me. All I could say was, yes, sir. Probably I did influence him the wrong way. Maybe not the way a pastor should handle things. But he was blaming me for influencing. That's what Manasseh did. He influenced him the wrong way. Almost 25 years later, I've still not had a conversation with his son. He completely severed that relationship. I'm not blaming him because I'm sure I did influence him negatively because I wasn't doing things right. And I want to tell you, it's terrible to influence somebody the wrong way, but it's wonderful to influence them the right way. Someone shout amen. Verse 10 is where it gets really, really bad. And this is where the, the worst is. He rejected the word of God. And that's point number two for you today. If you're taking notes, don't depart from the word of God. The Lord in his mercy called out to King Manasseh and those with him and said, you guys are not doing right. You need to turn back to God. But Manasseh turned a deaf ear. He turned a deaf ear and the people paid no attention. As I said earlier, he sought Isaiah in two. He literally, Isaiah represents the word of God. He represented the word of God. What, what Manasseh was really doing was, I'm going to cut the word of God off. I don't deal with this no more. And if we're not careful, let me just pull up in your living room here for just a minute. We can come in here in our nice clothes and our Sunday smiles and think everything is great. But Monday through Saturday, when we're reading the Bible, 1 John chapter whatever, we read 1 John in the Bible reading this week, where it talks about living right. It talks about loving your brother and sister. And what we'll do is, when we get confronted with a scripture we don't like, we'll have a tendency to cut it out of our hearts. He said, you know what, Isaiah? I'm tired of you telling me to repent. I'm tired of hearing all this God, 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 God. I'm just going to cut you in two. We've got to be hungry for the word of God. Job 23 and 12 says this. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured. Everybody say treasured. treasured. The words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Yes. He said, I'd rather have your word than eat. Psalm 119, 103, the psalmist says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Woo! The common denominator of all great patriarchs of the Bible and anybody who did anything for God and anybody who walked with, with God was they loved the Word of God. I have a question for you today. Do you love the Word of God? Because the Word of God gives strength to your spirit. Have you ever been famished physically? Have you, have you ever been sick and, and you've been sick for a long period and you need to eat but you have no appetite and so you, you sort of force yourself to eat because you know you need the strength and you need the energy? Anybody ever been there? I'm sure we all have. If you, if you don't eat when you're weak, then you're susceptible to, to sickness and you get weak and so forth. It's the same way spiritually. When we're constantly falling to temptation, take note, how much am I in the Word of God? Yeah. The Word of God strengthens your spirit just as food strengthens your body. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not what? The young man said, I have hid your Word, Lord, in my heart that I might not what? Wow. If you're wondering, how can I be free from from practicing sin, hide the word in your heart. It'll change you. 
It'll give strength to fight off temptation. The word of God will also bring joy to your heart. Everybody say joy. joy. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And when's the last time you just, you just devoured and ate the word of God? And your words became for me a what? Joy. Not something that was a burden. Not something, oh, I don't want to hear that. Let me cut it out. It became a joy. A joy in the delight of my heart. Wow. Jeremiah said, man, your word is a, it's a joy and a delight in my heart and my life. For I've been called by your name. Look, some people, no matter the circumstances, can be happy and have joy. And that's because they're in the word. And then other people, no matter what happens in their life, they're never happy because they got no word in them. Yes, that's good. The Word of God brings growth. Everybody say growth. Just as food is necessary for a child to grow and for their body to grow up healthy, and just as babies need milk to grow, 1 Peter 2, 2, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may what? Grow up in your salvation. Look, if you're a believer in here and you're a new believer, I, I challenge you to just start pouring through the epistles, the, 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 the letter to the Ephesians, the Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians, all the epistles, what we've been reading. They were letters to new believers. Basically, it's Paul saying, hey, guys, you know, you, you, you can't sleep with your stepmother. Not good. I'm serious. Read Corinthians. Right. Yeah. Guys, communion is for you to remember the Lord's table, not for you to come and gorge out and get drunk. Don't do that. What he's saying is he's teaching the people. He's, he's teaching that there's right ways and wrong ways of doing things. And I want to tell you, we need to grow up in our salvation. Yes, we do. Look, if you are in the same place in God you were five years ago, you've digressed because there's always growth going forward in him. God's always challenging us to move forward. He's always growing us to be more mature. I want to tell you something. We need a body of believers right here that grow up in the Word of God and grow and become mighty men and women of God. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit cries out for the Word every day like your body does food. But the question is, do you feed it? Don't depart from the word of God. Don't reject it. Jeremiah, the guy who said it was a joy for me, he comes before King Jehoiakim. Now there's a name. <laughs> the king sent to Jehudi to get the scroll, the word of God. And Jehudi brought it from the room of Elishama. You try telling he's out in public. <laughs> the secretary and read it to the king. They're reading the king the word of God. And all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month and the king was sitting in the winter department. Deep winter. With a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehude, Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off. Everybody say don't cut the word of God out. It's just twice now you see King saying, I don't like what the word's saying, cut it out. Cut it off with a scriber's knife and threw it into the fire pot. He thought if I just cut the scroll off and throw it in the fire, I don't have to deal with it. Until the entire scroll was burned in the fire, just throw the whole Bible in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Verse 25, even though El, El Nathan, Deliah, Gemariah, 
urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. I, I, you know, it's like he's, it's like as they read three or four scrolls, he says, you know, get a knife. I don't want to hear this. Just cut it out, throw it in the fire and deal with this. Oh, it's another three. What? I don't want to hear that either. Cut it out. Well, there's nothing left to cut out. Can't you didn't cut the whole word out? Well, good. I don't want to deal with it. He gave a very hostile reaction. Listen, King Jehoiakim didn't want to hear it, so he cut it out. Maybe it would just go away. Be very, very careful, church. When you have a word from God and God deals with your heart, that you don't say, well, I don't want to deal with that, so cut it out. Be very, very careful because there are people running from one church to another across America looking for someone to give with itchy ears, looking for someone to pat them on the, on the back and say, hey, your sin's okay, don't worry about it. Be very careful running into a church that won't preach the whole true gospel of Jesus Christ. Be very, very careful about saying, well, I'm not going to put up with listening to that. I'm not another Sunday. I'm going to go down the road where I don't want to hear all that. I want to tell you something. It's a balanced gospel. Yes, we need the positive. Yes, we need the encouragement. But I want to tell you something. There's many times that we need to be rebuked by the Word of God. We need the Word of God to say, hey, you're wrong in this area, and you need to get right before God. Someone say amen. Amen. I was at the conference and God dealt with me about something. And I thought, I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm just telling you, I'm thinking, boy, it's gonna, this is going to take months, man. It's going to take forever to get over this. And Lord, forgive me. It's just a motive of my heart. And I just, you know, God, forgive me. And uh, Lord, I repent. And I'm thinking, man, I don't have to repent for days and all this. And just, you, it's so easy to get sidetracked. And it was like, poof, it was gone. I was like, wow, that worked. I said a five-second repentance prayer was gone. Hallelujah. It was like God saying, you don't have to work. All you got to do is cry out to me. Yes, yes, right. People across America don't mind you preaching the word of God as long as you cut out certain sections and certain things, especially what deals with their life. They don't mind hearing the word of God until you get on what's really going on in their life. And then all of a sudden, well, we don't want that. I want to tell you, it didn't work out good for Manasseh when he cut out the word of God. And it didn't work out good for Jehoiakim. And it will not work good for you and I. We must accept the whole gospel. Everybody say amen. amen. The whole Bible, even what we don't like. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else... Not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, the Bible, every letter of it or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith and not good for much. In other words, get in the deep end. Amen. When God brings a passage of scripture before you or a sermon before you, don't cut it out just because you don't like it. It's detrimental to your growth if you do. That would be like saying, I don't want to have these nutrients in my body. I don't like them, so cut them out. Who, who does that? Children do that. I don't want to eat my green beans. I don't want to eat the Brussels sprouts, Mom. Well, too bad. You're sitting there till you eat them. Well, might as well choke them on down. How many knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right? Because why? They're good for you. Right? And how many have ever heard, hey, they're starving children in Africa. And I'm like, well, I ain't in Africa. Uh-uh. I'm in my home in America. I ain't going to do them no good to carrots here over there. 
But what I'm trying to say, hey, we got to get those good parents, give them the right things to eat, right? You get a little sugar on there, but it's a bad parent that just lets them eat donuts every day of their life forever because they're not going to get what they need. In the same way, God knows that he's not. Listen, it's detrimental to our growth to only give you the things you want to hear out of the word every day. What brings our growth is, hey, uh, I see something in your life and let me show what the word says. And the answer to our growth is going to be whether we cut it out or if we receive it and we repent. Someone say amen. amen. How many of you are ready for some good news? I'm sure you are. Verse 11, he gets dragged off, but then he turns back to God. Point number three is this. Turn back to God. Everybody say turn back to God. And I want to tell you something. This would be very easy for those of you sitting in here right now. To say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm in church. Well, I don't. I, you're thinking in terms of I've gone off the deep end, and man, I'm going to turn back to God. No, no, no. Listen, every single day we are either departing from God and His Word or turning to it. There's no middle ground. You're either pursuing God or you're not. And every one of us has a choice every single day. Are we going to go to our prayer closet? Are we going to get in the Word? Are we going to get in worship and praise Him? Are we going to have a walk with God today like we did yesterday? Because yesterday's walk's not good for today. And today's walk's not good for tomorrow. it got to be every day. So my question is, are you departing from God and His Word? Or are you pursuing and turning to? He was shackled. And it is an affliction. He came to his senses. I'm always amazed at the people that when they're, they, they, they hit rock bottom, they suddenly turn back to God. It's amazing how that works. What did Manasseh do to find repentance? Look what your Bible says in verse 12 and 13. First of all, he sought God to deliver. He sought God. Everybody say, seek God. Seek God. Secondly, he humbled himself before God. Listen, from the pages of Genesis to the pages of Revelation and all in between. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And every book in that Bible in between. There is nothing you will find any faster to get to God's attention than repentance and humility. I, I can't find it. When you repent and come before God humbly, boom, God moves. Listen, even wicked Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel, you remember how wicked they were? When Ahab was told destruction was coming, as wicked as he was... For his time, he was the most wicked king up to his time. Now Manasseh was after him, but he was the most wicked king of his time. The Bible says that he sought God with repentance and God showed him grace. God even let Ahab off the hook for a time until Ahab went off the deep end again. Matthew 23, 12. Watch what Jesus says. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be James 4, 6. But he gives a greater grace. Ever say greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Same chat, or 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves. That means put a jacket on, if you will. Clothe yourselves with humility one to another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore into God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And I know I've preached this before. But what does it mean there that he opposes the proud? Opposes literally means stiff arm. 
when you turn on the Bengals game today and they stiff arm somebody or whatever game you're watching and the runner with the ball, the defender comes to tackle him, he stiff arms him so he can't tackle him. You know what the Bible says? When you walk in pride and you try to come near God, he says, can't deal with your pride. Pride's gone. You get rid of the pride, you can come. Is there anybody in their right mind that wants to be stiff-armed by God? Let me help you. This is not a good thing. Wow. Thirdly, he prayed until God heard him. He said a crazy prayer. God, in all I've ever done, will you return me to my kingdom? This, is, this blows my mind. So the Lord not only saves him... But he brings him back to Jerusalem and even to the throne to correct his past mistakes. Don't tell me there's not grace and mercy in the Old Testament. He yeah. brought this dude yeah. back. Yeah. Put him back on his throne to fix his mess. Yeah. Wow. Everybody say God allows U-turns. Isn't it amazing? God allows something that the state of Ohio doesn't. He allows U-turns. <laughs> The test of real salvation, hear me, is to see the fruit of a person's life after they have been saved. If the life is the same as what it was, there's been no conversion. You can say a prayer, but if your life hasn't changed, you've not been converted. Because nobody in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation ever encountered Almighty God and walked away the same. And I want to tell you from experience, from the guy who influenced the pastor's son the wrong way to have the pastor ream him out and, and, and all that good stuff, and from all the crazy things I've done, I want to tell you something. There's been a massive change in my life. Yes, yes. Listen, when you get saved, really saved, you are changed because you are reborn. Yes, that's right. There was an old woodcutter, and he was a mean man in this town. And he was supposed to cut four-foot logs. And he would always cheat people. He'd cut off three or four inches that he wouldn't give them. So instead of four feet, you know, they'd be three foot, eight inches. And he would do that so he could, you know, cheat the system and cheat them out of their money. Well, one day there was a reporter around town that he'd gotten saved. And nobody could believe this guy was unsaved. Well, he was so mean and nasty. And while they were conversing about this in the grocery store, one man took off running, came back running. He goes, it's true, it's true. He really did get saved. They said, well, how do you know? He said, because I went and saw the piece of wood I bought from him yesterday, and it was a good four foot long. <laughs> now we laugh, but he measured his salvation by a change in his actions. I got a question for you today. How many of you could we say, oh yes, they've been saved because they don't live the same way anymore. Yeah. Can God look down over the banners of heaven and tell the angels around him, Tracy Kellums has changed. He really is saved. Why? Look at his life. It ain't the same no more. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Wow. Yes. Have your actions changed? Are you behaving differently? Do you turn off the television when it gets perverted? Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you walk away from crude and coarse and nasty joking? Mm -hmm. Will you quit lying? Are the thoughts of your mind and heart pure? 
I mean, let's just see what happened with Manasseh. Let's put him to the test. Did he really get saved? Was there really a life change? I want to say, how many of you have had a drastic life change after you met Jesus? Raise your hand up. Yeah, if you yeah. got Jesus just radically changed your life. Yeah. Hallelujah. Would his testimony after crying out to God prove that Manasseh really encountered God and changed his life? Well, let's just look at the Bible and see verse 14. He rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. He enforced an army to protect the city of God. He went to rebuild the things of God. I have a question for you. Are you willing to rebuild the things of God in your life? Are you willing to rebuild a life of attending church regularly? Of Bible study, of prayer, of worship? Are you willing to rebuild the altar of God in your home? Manasseh went back. He said, hey, we got to rebuild the things of God first. I want you to notice the order. He went back and rebuilt the altar of God first. Then in verse 15, he began to clean up his mess. Everybody say, clean up the mess. I want to tell you something. Under the sound of my voice, I feel this so strong in my spirit. There's some folks that need to go home and clean the mess up. He got rid of all the idol altars and worship that he formerly had put in the temple of the Lord. What do you mean, Pastor, I need to clean my mess up? Are, are you willing to clean up your mess? Let me ask you this way. Are you willing to get rid of any idols that you have set up in your heart, in your home, in your life? You say, well, yeah, I don't have any idols. Okay. Are you willing to call your DVD collection? Are you willing to clean out some of them DVR recordings? Are you willing to get covenant eyes so somebody can hold you accountable to what you're clicking on in the wee hours of the night? Yes, yes, yeah. Are you willing to have somebody get up in your business and hold you accountable when you start gossiping and say, Hey, Satan's entered your heart, brother or sister. How dare you gossip like that? Are you willing to submit? Oh, I'm, I'm all up in the business today. I don't know. Manasseh went back and he said, We're cleaning house. I'll never forget somebody got saved in our church in Bremen. I mean, he got radically saved. Listen, all he did was get saved. Nobody said anything to the man. That's right. Not one word other than Jesus. He went home, he come back the next week. He said, well, he said, I went home and cleaned house. Nobody told him to clean house. He got reborn by the power of God. He said, I went in my whiskey cabinet and I dumped it all down the sink. And he said, we'll not have alcohol in this house in Jesus' name. And I know I'm on dangerous territory talking about that. But I want to tell you something. The Bible is very clear all through the scripture that those who are deceived by that are in bad trouble. We're not supposed to be drunk with wine. We are not supposed to be in drunkenness. And this is not in my notes. Somebody needs to hear this. Yeah. God does not smile on drunkenness. God does not favor drunkenness. And God is saying to somebody under the sound of my voice, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, get it out of your life. Yes, 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 yes. When I got saved, listen to me. When I got saved, when I really got saved, I never touched it again. I've been over 25 years now without touching it. Do I miss it? No. Can you argue the Bible one way or there? Yes, you can. But I want to tell you, the Bible's clear. Don't get drunk. And I want to tell you, there's spirits attached to it. I don't know who this is for. God, don't get me in trouble today. Listen, I don't know who this is for. But there's a reason that the store says wine and spirits. What spirit are you inviting in your house? The Holy Spirit? He repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed to the Lord. 
He set off peace offerings and sacrifice offerings. Doesn't Romans 12, 1 and 2 tell us that we're supposed to put ourselves on the altar and be a living sacrifice? This says, God, I'm yours and I'm not going to behave the same way again. I want purity to flow from my heart and my life. And I don't know who I was talking to for a minute ago, but I hear the Spirit telling me, somebody's in here saying, well, that's easy for you to say, but I can't get free. Liar, liar, pants on fire, the devil is. You can be set free. If God set me free, then set you free. I would like for you to stand, if you have courage enough with me, if you, if you have been delivered totally from the addiction of alcohol or any kind of substance abuse. Stand to your feet. I want people to see it. Look at this, folks. Look at this, folks. Woo! Don't tell me God can't do it. Ron, how long have you been free now? Nine years, five months. Nine years and five months. Hallelujah. Watch this, I'm almost done, I'm almost done. He, he led the people to serve the Lord. In verse 9, he's leading them all away from God. Now he comes back and he says, guys, I blew it all. Come back to God. I love the humility. Do you know the humility it takes for someone to do that? Yeah, yeah. To say, hey, you know, oh, I was wrong. <laughs> Even though Manasseh didn't start out serving God, when he got in trouble, he knew where to go. He represents all the wayward sons and daughters that think they're so far gone and there's no hope. I want to tell you, God allows U-turns. Yes. Yes, Manasseh being forgiven and accepted by God would be like Hitler being forgiven. It's just unbelievable. Let me say something's going to shock you. God loved Adolf Hitler just as much as you. Yes, he did. And if Adolf Hitler in his last moment of breath would have said, God, I can't believe what I've done. Will you please forgive me and come into my heart? God would have saved him. Yes, he would. Manasseh was Hitler. Have you ever thought about this? You ever thought when Manasseh showed up? I mean, can you imagine he's walking the streets of gold and he sees Isaiah coming? Uh, hey, man, uh, I'm sorry I cut you in two. Sorry I saw you in two, bro. I'm glad you got a glorified body now and you're all one piece again. You ever thought about that? Can you imagine the conversation? Can you imagine how many apologies he had to make? Hey, man, uh, I'm sorry I cut your head off. I, you and, you know, thousands of others. Man, I'm really sorry. Can you tell me? Just think about it. Can you imagine? Yeah, man, I'm sorry, bro. And I, mean, I can just see how he's saying, oh, it's all good, man. We're in heaven now, so I forgive you, you know. I'm glad I got all my body. And there's not like half of me over there and half over here. No pun intended. Listen, don't tell me there's not grace. Because Isaiah, who most theologians, listen, you got to catch this picture. Isaiah, who most theologians consider to be the fifth gospel. He was, the, he was the prophet of prophets. Yeah, it was. And Manasseh was the murderer of murderers and the wicked of wicked. But they're both standing next to the throne of God, worshiping God right now. Wow. Oh, hallelujah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's 
That's amazing. Goodness.